Well, good morning and happy Father's Day. We're glad that you guys are here with us today. It's, uh, it's going to be a great day today, uh, if it hasn't already, uh, as we've lifted up the name of Jesus. And uh, just want to let you know, Brother Jeff is uh, going to be out the next three weeks. He is, uh, in, he's gone to the Southern Baptist Convention, and then he's enjoying uh, a 35th anniversary trip that happened like two years ago because of COVID, kept putting it off. And finally, they were able to experience that as well as a, uh, a, a granddaughter is going to be dedicated in the last uh, first Sunday in July. So for the next three weeks, you don't want to miss uh, today. I had the opportunity to, to share next Sunday. Uh, uh, Brother Dick will be here sharing with us. And then on July the 3rd, uh, Kermit Jones, he's an Army chaplain, new member at Parkway Baptist Church, will also be sharing. So it's going to be a, a fun kind of summertime little break for Jeff and a, an opportunity for us to continue to share from our hearts. So we're glad that you're here and hope you'll continue to join us for the rest of the summer. Um, when I was growing up, I grew up in uh, College Park, Georgia which is uh, just south of Atlanta, definitely a suburb area. Uh, but my best friend uh, growing up in uh, middle school uh, was a guy named Larry. And uh, Larry lived at the end of my street. And uh, Larry was 100% country, okay? I'm just 100%. He had bright red hair. He had freckles. Uh, he was, uh, his family, their, their house, you drove out of our neighborhood and there was his house. And then to the, to the right of Larry's house, that, yeah, sure, that way, um, was his great-grandmother's house, which I'm sh pretty sure either his great-grandfather built or his great-grandfather built. Um, beautiful house, big porch, tin roof. And then behind both of those homes was about 150 acres of pasture land. His uh, uncle lived back there. They raised cattle. And so Larry grew up basically on a farm, even though we we're in this just right outside of Atlanta. He did all the fishing, the hunting, playing in the woods, all that kind of stuff. And uh, he was the one I was closest to during middle school. So pretty much every afternoon, it was roll over to Larry's house and we we're going to find some trouble to get into. One day, got to Larry's and uh, his mom had bought him a gift. He goes, look what I just got. I got a compound bow. And I was like, oh, yes, every sixth or seventh grade boy's dream. And so uh, immediately I was like, well, let's go shoot it. And so he set the target up, got the compound bow out, and he's just letting them fly because he was, I mean, that's him. That's his life. Absolutely loved it. I was not going to begin to try because I was afraid I couldn't pull it back hard enough. But so he's shooting the target, shooting the target, shooting the target, and then gets bored of shooting the target. So we just make new targets, right? I mean, he said, let's try like the big oak tree in the front yard. Absolutely. So he pulls it back, lets it fly, hits it. He says, let's try and shoot like the Coke can off log. Absolutely. Try it. So he pulls it off. And so eventually we get bored of shooting at targets. And then Larry goes, you know what? I'm pretty sure if I aim this at the sky, I can make this arrow disappear. Absolutely. Let's see what happens. So he pulls the bow back, aims it straight up gone. You know what? He was right. We could no longer see the arrow, which means we had no clue where that arrow was coming back down. So immediately I ran onto the porch, which had, I think, about six inches of cover on it and uh, hid. And all of a sudden you heard, <clears throat> it had come down through the trees, hit the ground. And we thought the same thing. That was incredibly awesome. Let's, let's do that again. And so he pulled it back and several times, just shooting the air, straight in the air, wondering where it's going to fall, falling down the ground, hearing it fall. Finally, Larry says, you know what? I'm going to give it everything I got. I said, you go, brother. Oh, let's go. Come on. So he pulled it back as hard as he could, aims it straight at the sky. It's gone. 
And it just felt like forever before it came back down. But we heard something was a little different. It wasn't like to like the ground. We heard this something like sound like a hammer hitting a nail. It's like tink. We looked to that direction of his great grandmother's house, and there was the end of the arrow sticking up out of the tin roof. It had gone through the tin roof and hit the rafters in her kitchen. Now, somebody in the next service, the first service, asked, "Well, did you get the arrow out?" Absolutely not. Um, I'm not sure if that arrow is still there today, but. Luckily, it hit the rafter and didn't go straight into her kitchen. And I tell you all that and tell you this. Um, it wasn't because we didn't have a target. I mean, we had a target, and it was, you know, a lot of fun for a little while. I mean, we had it. We shot He shot it. Um, shot at it. But eventually, he got bored with the target. And we started ignoring that target and looking for other targets. And then pretty much whatever we called and we hit, that was the target. Eventually we got bored with that and we just started shooting at whatever we could until we weren't shooting at anything at all. And today I tell you all that because we're going to read a passage of Scripture found in Psalm chapter 127. If you want to go ahead and turn there, that speaks to us as parents and as children. That we've got to be very careful what we're aiming at and what we're shooting at. What eyes our target our, what target our eyes are on because if we miss or aim for the wrong target somebody's going to get hurt and so this morning we're going to jump right into scripture there's a lot of scripture this morning because what God has to say to parents and children is a lot more important than what Bobby has to say to parents and children so I'm going to share with you a lot of scripture this morning but we're going to start with Psalm 127 just give you a little background um, if you were going to say who wrote um, the Psalms if you said David You'd be the majority would be right. He wrote the majority of the Psalms that are found there. Um, if you didn't know this, Moses wrote one of the Psalms. Uh, a couple of David's worship leaders wrote some of the Psalms. But also his son Solomon wrote at least two of the Psalms. This is one of the ones that he wrote. And uh, if you don't know anything about Solomon, you've got to know a little bit of background about him. He was next in line to be king after David. And uh, Solomon was very young when he was appointed king. And one day God showed up. And had a conversation with Solomon. And basically asked Solomon, what do you want me to do for you? Now, a young man with the God of the universe asking, what do you want me to do for you? I'm sure there was a list. But Solomon thought and said, I lack wisdom and discernment. What I need more than anything else is wisdom and discernment. And so that's what he asked from the Lord. And God said, because you didn't ask for wealth and your enemies and for great lands and a huge kingdom... I'm going to give you wisdom, and I'm going to give you discernment, and I'm going to give you all those other things as well. And so Solomon went on to be one of the greatest kings over God's chosen people, Israel. He also was probably one of, if not the wisest person to walk the face of the earth other than Jesus Christ. And so how awesome is it that today, thousands of years later, we can open up to Psalm 127 and read some of the wisdom that Solomon would give to us as parents and children today. So let's start Psalm 127, verse number one. We're going to jump right in this morning and stop along the way and try to see how we can learn together this morning. It says, uh, verse number one, Unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor over it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, a watchman, the watchman stays alert in vain. 
In the vein, you get up early and stay up late, working hard to have enough food. Yes, he gives sleep to the one he loves. These first couple of verses is very similar to what you would read in Proverbs. And uh, he starts off with, hey, unless the Lord. He just says, hey, we've got to start off this passage of Scripture. We're going to eventually talk to parents and children. But just understand, unless the Lord is in your life, everything else will be in vain. Unless the Lord is in your life, everything else will be in vain. There's a, a Latin phrase, Nisi Dominus Frutus, that was written about this passage of Scripture. Nisi Dominus Frutus means, without the Lord, frustration. Without the Lord, frustration. Now, I am not going to stand on this stage and say, you have the Lord in your life and you're following Him the best of your ability, that you're going to have zero frustrations. That is not what Solomon is trying to say here. But what he is saying here is that when, when trials come your way, when temptations come your way, when hardships come your way, when you have to go through those pivotal circumstances that no one wants to go through, unless the Lord, frustration. He wants you to understand right up front, God desires a relationship with you. God is pursuing you. God loves you. God has the best plan for your life. But without the Lord, frustration. And he continues on and talks in verse number three. And he jumps right into, hey, we're talking about if the Lord builds the house, it's all good. But if he doesn't, they labor in vain. If the Lord watches over the city, it's all good. But if he doesn't, the watchman stays alert in vain. And then he jumps into a discussion about sons and parents. And this is where we want to jump in and spend the majority of our time this morning. Sons, or you could read that word, children, are indeed a heritage from the Lord. Offspring, a reward. Children are indeed a heritage from the Lord. Offspring, a reward. Um, I want you to, as you read that passage of Scripture, the word heritage there, it literally means possession. Children are a possession from God, from the Lord. Offspring, a reward. In other words, your children, they are given to you, but they belong to Him. And when I use the word children, I know that I mean, if you have children that were born to you, they were given to you and they belong to Him. If you're fostering kids, they were given to you, but they belong to Him. If you've adopted children, they were given to you, but they belong to Him. If you're a small group leader that's pouring into children... They're given to you, but they belong to Him. Which means we've got to challenge maybe some of the ways that we view our parenting. Uh, in, in a great book for parents, I highly recommend it, and you can get it for free today. That's a pretty good deal. Uh, Paul David Tripp, Parenting. He begins to talk about two different views of, of parenting. Ownership parenting and stewardship parenting. And so let's kind of compare and contrast those two. Ownership parenting, when they think about their identity, um, if you are, have an ownership view, you get your identity from your children. Now, you've seen these parents. They probably dress like their kids. They're, they're, uh, they're trying to be their kid's best friend. They're trying to, like, their, their identity is literally tiled up in their children. 
And he says in his book, he says, your children are a horrible place to find your identity because every parent parents sinners. And we don't need to be trying to find our identity in another sinner. But the stewardship view, they look for identity in their relationship with God. They find out who they are in Christ and they try to live that out in their relationships with their children. Without the Lord, frustration. Ownership view when it comes to work, um, they're thinking about how, how can I turn my children into something that I believe that they should be? That's my job. As a parent, I'm going to turn my kids into something. I got plans for them because I own them. They're mine. I'll do what I want. Got to be careful to try and parent that way. Stewardship parenting, when it think of work, you think of this. I will be an instrument in the hand of the Lord, motivated by the potential of what grace could cause my children to become. That's a big difference. Because you and your strength, you can make your kids something. Probably frustrated and angry. But if you realize you're an instrument in the hands of the one that's going to give all the grace and all the love and all the forgiveness to your child and help them become what God wants them to become, that's the viewpoint I want to, I want to continue to live out. Last one, ownership. When they think of success, they think of all the achievements, all the abilities, all the likability, all the popularity, all the academics, all the athletics, all the things, that's where they think, oh, my child's a success. Look at what they've, what they've done. But from a stewardship viewpoint, success is knowing that God alone can produce good things in my kids. God alone can produce good things in my kids. In my strength alone, I'll fail. Unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord watches the city, unless the Lord is involved in my parenting, I'll never be or reach the potential that God has for me. He continues on in this Psalm 127, and then he says, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the sons, the children born of one's youth. Happy is the man who has filled his quiver with them. All right. Notice that he didn't say you became a warrior because you have arrows. He says that sons or children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. So if you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you've trusted in him and he is your Lord and Savior, heads up, you are a warrior. Matter of fact, we're going to do this for a second. Look to your neighbor and say, I am a warrior. That was not very convincing. That was like, oh, warrior. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, turn to your other neighbor and say it like you mean it. Hey, I am a warrior. There you go. Absolutely, because when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you joined up for spiritual warfare. You joined up for a battle that's being fought, not here in flesh and blood, as, as Ephesians chapter 6 tells us. This is what he tells, Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. He says that, uh, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. Every single one of us that have surrendered our life to Jesus is in a battle against evil, against darkness, against the real enemy. 
who is Satan himself. And you're a warrior. And God may give you some arrows. You need to be prepared to use them. You need to be prepared for battle. You need to understand that this world is battling to steal, kill, and destroy your child's heart. How do I know that? Because that's what sin does. Jesus said it himself. He says that, hey, the enemy, he has one plan. That's to use everything that happens to you to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come, Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Have abundant life. Have it to the most. And we've got to come to a place where we realize that we are battling the enemy. Matter of fact, it's a good thing that we have children later in life because it gives you years to train and years to prepare. Paul shared a little bit in a small letter to a church in Thessalonica about what it looks like maybe to prepare for the battle. He uses this phrase that he says, as you know, like a father with his own children. And he gives a description before that verse and he gives a description after that verse. Before the verse, I think it's talking about how do we train ourselves to be ready for the battle? And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, he says, Your witnesses, so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we conducted ourselves with you believers as a father with his children. Paul said, we as parents, we as leaders, we as those that are trying to shape the next generation... Our pursuit as a warrior is first it's holiness. This should be no surprise because Jesus even told those first followers of him, said, hey, I want you to be holy as your heavenly father is holy. Being holy just simply means to be set apart, that, you're, that your life is set apart for a purpose. And for our discussion, it's set apart for our heavenly father. Righteous. Whenever you see that word in Scripture, I want you to think right standing with God. And Scripture is very clear. No one, not one of you, including the guy on stage, is righteous. But Paul wrote to the church in Corinth that there was one that he allowed to, who was sinless to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, what Jesus did on the cross to take away our sins allows us to be known as righteous. In other words, we have a right standing with God. Blameless, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 22, again, it shouldn't surprise you that it comes through Jesus. But now he, Jesus, has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him your heavenly Father. So you want to know how to prepare for the battle, pursue holiness, pursue righteousness, and pursue being blameless in Christ. Prepare your heart for battle because God may give you some arrows. He may put some children in your life that you're going to use for battle. And so let's look and see what that looks like. If you've been given arrows, if you're a grandparent, a parent, an aunt, an uncle, foster parent, adoptive parent, the first thing 
as you're preparing for battle and realizing that children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to select a bow. Now, there are lots and lots and lots and lots of bows that you can select to launch your children out into this world. We've already listed some of them. You could launch your children saying, um, academics is the end-all, be-all. And I'm going to turn out the smartest kids that anyone has ever seen. They're going to get all the scholarships. They're going to go to the best universities. They're going to be so... They're going to be valedictorian. They're going to get all the dean's list. And that's how I'm going to launch my kids out into the world. You can do that. You can do the same thing with athletics, that you can spend all the money when they're four years old going to the Tim Hudson pitching camp. And, uh, man, they're going to be the best pitcher that you'd ever known. They're going to be incredible. They're going professional, baby. I know he's only three, but he's going to make it. All right? And that could be what you choose to, to launch your kids out into. And we could go on and on with list after list of things that you could select for your bow. I would encourage you as parents, the bow you select is a relationship with your heavenly father. Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. There's nothing better for an arrow to do than to fly straight. Solomon says, trust in the Lord, not your own understanding, not all the things that you think you can make your kid become. Select the right bow. The right bow is what matters most. And heads up, it, your kids know what matters most to you. I hope, I hope, I hope they see that what matters most to you is your relationship with your Heavenly Father. Another story from growing up, those same group of guys, we had three or four others, that we would ride bikes um, everywhere. And uh, in our neighborhood, there was a, a huge hill. I mean, it's probably the biggest hill ever, at least it was in my eyes. And so one day we're all riding bikes, and so we were not smart kids. So um, one kid's riding on the hill, and he says, hey, look, no feet. And he takes his feet off the pedals. And I was like, Pfft. Who can't do that? I mean, come on. Another kid says, hey, look, no hands. All right? And I was like, ha, amateurs. Hey, look, no brains. I took my hand and feet off the bike pedals at the same time. Immediately, I knew it was the wrong response. My knee hits the handlebars. The handlebars spin. I flip over the bike. I bend the wheel and can no longer ride that bike ever. We never straightened it out. I think, I tell you that, I think that maybe, just maybe, when God sees you select a bow other than him, he may, this may be just my brain, say, look, no brains. I've done everything that they need in order to parent well. But they're choosing to lean on their own understanding. They're choosing to pursue the things of this world above what matters most, a relationship with your heavenly Father. Select the right bow. The next thing that you have to do, you have to prepare the arrows. Now, we don't prepare arrows. We go to the academy and they prepare the arrows and you buy them, right? But in ancient Israel, there was no cards to swipe to get the arrows. They had to go find uh, a tree or a stick or a branch and they go, I see an arrow in there. 
And so they would take that, that branch and begin to whittle away and carve away until they had something that was a little bit straight. Then they would take the crooked parts out and they begin to sand it, wet it, dry it, sand it, wet it, dry it until they had something that was somewhat into a straight form. And then they would begin to take that and begin to balance it so they would have perfect balance because they were preparing an arrow for the enemy. So I would encourage you to not only just select the right bow, but you've got to prepare the arrows. What does that look like for parents, grandparents, anybody that's raising children? We didn't do this right all the time. But I'd encourage you, family devotions. And I know when you hear that word, you're like, oh, I've got to read the book of Exodus to my kids. I mean, no, that's not what we're talking about, okay? What I'm talking about is carving out some specific times during the day to talk to your kids about God things. There's four really easy times to do it. I don't know about your kids, but even if they set an alarm, my kids had to have someone go, hey, sweetie, it's time to get up. Didn't always go that way. But when they wake up, is an awesome time just to introduce something other than a flying fist. Maybe a verse of scripture or something. Just to introduce them to the day, hey, we're living for God in this house. And maybe, maybe you put a verse in their lunchbox. Maybe you put it on the cereal box. You put it on the milk carton, on the, on the refrigerator. But just introducing a thought about who God is. Another time, as long as your kids are riding in the car with you, because one day will come and they will not ride in the car with you, don't waste that time. Leverage it for great conversations. I mean, don't just spend it cranking up the, you know, the great music, but spend that time asking questions. Spend that time saying, hey, what did you think that verse meant this morning that we read together? What did you think um, you know, that God wants to do in your life today at school? Use those times. Third time, meal time. Like I said, we didn't do everything right, but for the most part, about every night, our family sat down around a table or in the living room together and had supper together. And we had some great conversations about all sorts of things from school to relationships to just having fun together. Um, you know, and just, again, you're just asking questions um, Encouraging maybe your kids to pray over the, the dinner. Maybe encouraging your kids to say, hey, what have you been learning about who God is and what's going on? Or maybe just asking the question like, hey, how do you know your third grade teacher is not alien? I mean, just anything to get them talking, okay? The, the, the purpose around the table, get them talking, point them to God. And then finally, bedtime. Again, your kids will not always want you to tuck them in. As long as they do, stop. Enjoy the moment. Maybe pray with them. Share a verse of scripture. Let them pray. Oh, there are no more precious prayers than the prayer of a child as they pray for mommy and daddy and grandma and grandpa and for, um, you know, Sinbad the puppy and like all the different things they pray for. It's awesome. But you're teaching them things. You're preparing the arrow. Will they get it all right at the age of four? No. But they're beginning to develop a habit of mom and dad really love God. Mom and dad talk about Jesus all the time. Maybe I ought to know more about who God is and the things that he's promised me and who Jesus is and what he's done for me. Select the right bow, prepare the arrows, 
the next thing that you want to do there is aim. We won't talk about this a whole lot except that in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every hindrance and, uh, and sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter and founder and source of our faith. Under aim, I just wrote down this statement, we cannot aim at what we cannot see. And if you've got this bow and this arrow and you're getting ready to launch them out and you're not spending any time building your relationship with God, but you're going, man, I sure hope my kids follow Jesus. You don't have a clue what you're aiming at. Ground your parenting in a relationship with God, knowing that it's through Him and in Him that He'll extend grace to your kids and make them become what He wants them to be. Select the right bow, prepare the arrows, aim, and here's the fun part. <laughs> release. Where do you normally release arrows? Well, maybe for us it's like a target like that. Ancient Israel, they weren't going, oh, let's go to target practice. No. They were preparing for battle, remember? We're in a war. So you're going to prepare to release those arrows at the enemy. And if your child doesn't have a firm grip on who they are in Christ, it can get ugly quick. But Jesus told those first followers, he said, when the Holy Spirit comes on, you'll receive power and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Paul wrote to the church in Rome that, hey, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you might overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You are releasing them, but you're not letting them go by themselves. If they have established a relationship with Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit goes with them and empowers them, strengthens them, and prepares them for any battle that comes their way. I would encourage you not to wait till they're 18 or 19 years old to release them for the first time. I say you release them early and often. Like when the kid in class is bullying them, you share with them what it means to love their enemies and pray for those that persecute you and you release them. They come back home, hey, what happened today? Oh, let's talk about that. Let's pray about that. What do we need to do next? Because after you release them, I would encourage you to gather and reflect. Gather and reflect. That same passage of Scripture we read earlier from 1 Thessalonians, Paul said he wants you to train yourself to be holy and righteous and blameless. But as you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to live worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. As you gather those arrows back up, as they've been at release, as you gather them back up and you reflect on what happened, encourage, comfort, but more than anything else, implore them, beg them, 
urge them to live a life worthy of God who calls them to His kingdom and His glory. The short version of the Westminster Catechism says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Seminary professor at Southwestern Seminary, Richard Ross, says it this way. He says that instead of telling your kids that Jesus exists for them, teach your kids that they exist for King Jesus. You gather and reflect and say, what's the main purpose of this life? It's to glorify God. It's to enjoy Him forever. It's to, to live a life for King Jesus every single solitary day. The goal of parenting is not controlling behavior, but rather it's cultivating believers. I'll say that one more time. The goal of parenting is not controlling behavior, but rather cultivating believers. We feel like, Christina and I, maybe we're on our end of the first stage of parenting. I know we're not done, thank goodness, <laughs> but we're kind of on the end of that. I would encourage you, if you have small children, it's time to begin with a stewardship point of view of parenting. We did a message a long time ago called Losing Your Marbles where you put a marble in a jar, you put something in a jar that helps you to see the number of weeks before your child graduates high school. And then each week you take that marble out and say, what did I do to point my child toward their heavenly father this week? That's a real gut check sometimes. But now, I'm so very thankful that we did that. So we've got four empty jars. All are graduated. And I can see how God is going to use each one of my children. That's an awesome thing to reflect on. So I would encourage you, whatever it takes, for first of all, you to get your relationship right with your Heavenly Father, take every step necessary. Because your children's relationship with God, it really will be reflected in how you respond to Him. If you don't believe me, watch your children. You'll be like, oh, that's little Bobby. Oh, and there's little Christina. There they are. The good stuff and the bad stuff, it's all there. What you want to be able to look and go, oh, look, there, there's a reflection of who I am in Christ and your sons and your daughters. Let me pray for you. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we, just, we come before you today knowing that you love us, that you allowed all of this to be written down thousands of years ago, inspired Solomon to help us understand what it looks like to be the parents that you would have us to be. And so God, I pray that today that you would be with everyone in the room, parents, children alike, grandparents, aunts, uncles, small group leaders, anyone who has the opportunity to influence the heart and the life of a child. And God, I pray that you would, that you would help us. 
Help us to understand that unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen watch in vain. That these arrows that you've given us, they are a gift, but they belong to you. So God, help us as good stewards to point them back to who they belong to. Help us to reflect what matters most. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Help us to release them in the power of the Holy Spirit. And help us to see everything points towards your glory, your kingdom, and your mission. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.